0: My name is Kenny, I'm one of the associate pastors here, and it's, it's great to be with you this morning. I do have a small confession to make, I made this in the first service, it didn't affect them as much, but it might affect you. Um, my, my voice, you can tell it's suffering a little bit, and this happened a few days ago, so I promised myself I wouldn't sing with worship this morning, um, with the music, but unfortunately Randy and Tara did such a great job that I had to sing, so thanks a lot. Um, you, I may cut short halfway through the sermon. So. Maybe it's a benefit to all of us. Um, sorry, so my, my name's Kenny again. I'm from Spain. Um, I say stupid things sometimes. But I'm, I'm an associate pastor here at Christ Community at the Leewood Campus. And I, I know many of you, and many of you know us. Um, my wife, Marta, and I are originally from Spain, and our, uh, we came to the States as a temporal thing, as a temporary thing. And our time is, is slowly dwindling to an end. There, we still have six months, so you have to put up with me for a little longer. Um, but our plan is to go back to Madrid um, and work with the church there in Spain, and it's, th- there's some sadness that's going to come with that, some real sadness that I'm starting to feel. Um, but we're also excited, right? Because we get to go home and be with with our friends, eat our food, like good food. Um, <laughs> speak speak the language of heaven, you know, little things that you may or may not understand. Um, but it's, in all seriousness, it's also very challenging, um, and I'm serious about that because. You see, most people in Spain don't have a super positive view of the church, and particularly the verses that we read this morning about salt and light, about the church being involved in society, that's a thing that doesn't come across very well. Um, And and here's why. In Spain, after a bloody civil war, um, Spain became a fascist dictatorship from 1939 to 1975. And tragically, this horrible dictatorship um, was backed, was supported by the National Catholic Church. And so, and this is what people think of when you say the church, that, that is the, the church um, that we know of. And, and in fact, during Franco's regime, it was compulsory to belong to this church, whether you believed or not. And the penalties for not doing that included imprisonment and sometimes even death. Uh, this is a terrible thing. So when people hear about the church, and particularly the church interacting with the world, they shudder with reason. Um, and as I say this, I, I just want to make it clear, my, my intention isn't to bash Uh, the Catholic Church, not at all. In fact, in Spain, even during this terrible time, there were many Roman Catholics that were faithful um, and gave their lives even to be faithful for what God really preached and not the government that was coming in. Um, But what has happened is that the church as a whole failed at this moment in history. And because of that, now, when you speak of the church, when you speak of Christ, people are very resistant. No matter if you're coming from a Catholic background or Orthodox or Protestant or Evangelicos, as we call Uh, Protestants in Spain. And to be honest, this isn't just a problem in Spain, is it? A lot of people here, when they think of the church and its interaction with the world, don't get super excited, right? Often it brings to mind imposition, power grabbing, moral control, manipulation, and with reason, too. There's a lot of people out there that call themselves Christians, but they're more concerned about how much power they have, how much control they can harness, than actually about the church, about Christ. Um, and maybe, maybe you don't think about power when you think about the church, you think about, um, judgmentalism, right? That this church that's judgmental or, or annoying even it's a metaphor or a, um, an adjective used quite commonly for the church. It's, you think of a group of people that, that tell people what to do, that take a posture of self-righteousness, hypocrisy, um, you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you're here this morning and you think that, um, maybe you're a Christian and you think that, I, I get it, um. And in fact, I think through this, I think about this stuff a lot, and sometimes I think it'd be better if Christians just kept their mouth shut, <laughs> right? Many of you are nodding, that wasn't my intention, um, no, I'm kidding. But, but seriously, like you think, why don't we just gather um, over here and forget about this world? And um, we'll pray for them, you know, we'll, we'll kind of be nice, but, but let's just do our own thing. It's, it's too difficult to get involved, it's too messy. Um, and, and, you know, issues are complex and difficult, and every time we try something, it doesn't work, so let, let's just give up. Um, and, and in fact, you know, people don't even want the church, so why, why bother with them? Um, why talk to them? We'll be decent citizens, but we won't go any deeper, right? Um, I'll go away, just care about my own life, my family, maybe my neighborhood, if they're, if they're nice, and avoid any other difficult conversation or thought. If I just concentrate on my own piety, on being a good person, it'll be okay, And maybe I can get through this life, maybe even enjoying parts of it. You know what I'm talking about? The problem is I read texts like this. You you see, Jesus had just talked about this path of blessedness or happiness. And if you weren't here last week, listen to Pastor Tom's um, uh, online, listen to the sermon. He did a great job bringing out the the Beatitudes and what they mean and and what they imply. So, So Jesus talked about this kingdom and he said, follow me. And it's exciting. It sounds really upside down, right? There's a lot of stuff that doesn't quite match, but there's something in that. There's something in this Christ, the happiest man that ever lived, the most brilliant man that ever lived. There's something that you just want to follow. So, so, so his followers are getting excited, right? But then he gets to the end of his prayer, or of, of, the, of the benedictions, the Beatitudes, and he says, happier the rejected, not the popular, and you go, ooh, I didn't want to hear that. Um, we heard that read this morning, Right? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are happier you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account." Yeah, that doesn't sound super happy, right? But he says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you follow me, um, you're going to be really happy, but you're not going to be popular. You're gonna be rejected. It's not if, it's when for Christians. Rejoice in this. Like, well, okay, Jesus. I get it, I want that life that you're promising, so so let's do this, Um, and I won't be popular, maybe persecuted, that's okay, right? Because I won't care what people think, right? I'll just do my own thing with Jesus over here. I'll just be concerned about me and my house, and then it'll be okay. But then Jesus keeps on talking. You wonder, Jesus, why did you do that? Just stop there. It's good. But he keeps on talking. He talks about this salt and light and being involved in the world. He goes deeper into the definition of what the Christian life is, and there it gets complicated. Because this is what he's saying this morning. This is what the text that we read is saying the church exists for the world. The church exists for the world. Jesus is saying, my followers, you exist for the world. Not in spite of the world, not only in contrast to the world, not against the world, not separate from the world. My church exists for the world, to give yourselves away to the world. That's what we're called to, church. And this is a bold statement. It's a hard statement to figure out. So this morning, I'd like us to press into these two metaphors of salt and light and and figure out what God is saying, what Jesus is saying um, through this. And we're gonna kind of see it in three parts. The first, we're gonna see that the church is essential for the world, the church is unique to the world, and the church is present in the world. Essential, unique, and present. Um, So, let's get right in. Just like salt and light, the church is essential for the world. Um, Salt and light are two elements, if you think about it, that that are essential to to the world to thrive. Um, So, let me explain what I mean by that. If you think of salt, one of the functions of salt, the first function that comes to mind probably is it gives flavor to food. Um, Without salt, we'd live a miserable life (laughs) probably with a lot of food that we eat, right? Um, but it doesn't just give flavor to salt, it also preserves, or it doesn't just give flavor to food, it also preserves stuff. Right? So now that we have refrigerators, it's not as important, but in those days it was very important because if you had meat and you wanted to keep it, or you had fish and you wanted to keep it, you needed to, you needed salts, right? It preserves the meat from going bad, from decaying, from dying, from being toxic. In fact. Um, and then light, light's something similar as well, right? Light is vital. Um, I'd say it's vital for happiness sometimes. We know this in the dead of winter. We know we need light. Um, And it's also important to get work done, right? Without light, it's very difficult to see what you're doing and to get things done. In other words, light's important to thrive. Um, And and in biblical imagery, light also is is a metaphor of truth. It brings truth to a situation. Um, In in other words, if it's a good thing, it brings truth and happiness to those who are doing good, and to those who aren't, it brings truth and happiness. Um, discernment of what is evil and what is bad. But together, what these metaphors are saying is without salt and light, the world can't thrive. Without salt and light, the world can't thrive, which means that Jesus is saying to us as a church, without you, without the church, the world cannot thrive. At Christ Community, we, we often put this in terms of God's plan for the world is the church. That's his plan A, and there is no plan B. That's another way of saying it. For For the world to thrive, the church is necessary. And I know that I'm making a bold statement right now. Um, To be honest, it's hard to say this from up here. Uh, I think most of you are pretty nice, so it's okay. But this is a bold statement to make, right? If you're not a Christian here this morning, you may even be offended. I'm not surprised. This is a big thing to say. And the truth is, Christians often get arrogant when we hear this. I am the hope of the world. (laughs) I just want you to know that. Right? We're essential to the world and we can, it can build up our pride, but remember who Jesus is talking to here. Remember? He's talking to the outcasts of society, the poor, the mourning, those who suffer like salt to the invisible people often. Remember that? In the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn. And to the powerful who are also listening, what he's saying is first you have to get rid of the desire for power and influence. Before you follow me, you have to become dissatisfied. You have to not grab onto things, but let them go. Remember this? So the first step is you have to know you're weak, and you can't do this on your own. That's when Christ invites you in. From that place of weakness, Christ gives us an astounding significance. Not because of who you are or what you did, but in spite of it, really. And there he says, you are important and what you do is very 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 important it has it has an eternal significance as you follow me your work your play how you interact with your family and your friends and your neighbor that matters very much you're the salt and the light of the world you're contributing to something to a world to some, you're contributing something to a world that's invaluable that's very necessary it's essential for this world to thrive you can't miss that maybe maybe you're not a christian here this morning And God is not saying that you're not important. In fact, the whole reason Jesus came was for the world, remember? And this is what he's designed his church for, it's for you. He's seeking you. He's wanting to say, join me. There is significance. There's something for you in this world. Come to my side. Be with me. You're important. You see, it's not arrogance that comes out of this calling. It's not pride that's being built up, but it's actually a weightiness. Do you feel it? It's this weightiness of love and compassion that's really important. Being involved, it's a calling rooted in our weaknesses and in his strength. And it produces a longing for the world to be saved, to thrive, just like our master. But this is a big deal. This is the first aspect of this metaphor. The world needs the church. The church is essential. But look, loving the world doesn't mean being the world. That's where we get into the second characteristic. Like salt and light the church is unique to the world. It's different. It's unique. Um, Notice how Jesus talks about what the church cannot become, right? Because he talks about salt and light, but then immediately he says, you can't lose your saltiness. You can't hide this light. Um, So let's think about that for a second. He says, you can't lose your salty taste. What does this mean? If you've studied chemistry, um, you know that salt doesn't lose its chemical Composition, right? That that doesn't happen. But what happened in Jesus' time is salt wasn't as refined as the stuff that we buy today. It was mixed with other elements, so sometimes the salt could be weaned away accidentally from the element. So imagine that you're you know you're salting your meat and it's something else. Who knows what it is? Um, That's gross. It's disgusting. Um, So logically, you take that and throw it to the street. Um, And I don't. I'm not a chemist, but I imagine that didn't even melt snow. That's how useless it was, right? That was a joke. yeah, sorry, I'm not from a cold climate, you know? Um, but you see what I'm saying? If salt, salt basically stops being salt, the same thing with light. I have a, so on my phone, I have a, um, sorry, I just opened that wrongly. I have a flashlight, right? You see it? So th- this is super helpful when I'm going into the darkness, but if I do this, all I'm doing is wasting the batteries of the phone, right? And I've done this before, I know exactly what it's like, so I'm going to turn that off. Um, <laughs> right? Uh, You laugh because you've done it too. I know it. Um, So basically what Jesus is saying is it's not that you become a different kind of salt that's not as good or a different kind of light that's not as bright. He's saying you you lose your purpose. When you lose your saltiness, it's gone. You're not salt anymore. When you lose the light, it's gone. It's not light anymore. If you cover light with something, there's no light. The point of his warning is if we lose our uniqueness salt as salt and light, we stop being salt and light. We become something else, and this is important, so we have to ask, well, what's that uniqueness? What's the unique thing that we can't lose? And It's simple. It's Christ. That's what it is. I mean, think about it. A few chapters earlier, um, and we we did this a few weeks ago, after Jesus was baptized and spent time in the desert, He went to Galilee, right, to be with the people, to engage with the world, and remember the prophecy that Matthew says He's fulfilling. Let me read it to you. It's in Matthew 4.15. You can turn there if you want, Um, and He's quoting from Isaiah 9. So this is what he says, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Remember Gentiles is a way of saying the world. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region of shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. In other words, Jesus is the light and hope and joy. Jesus is the salt, the element that gives flavor to the world that preserves it from evil. Without Him, we lose our flavor, and we hide the light. And that's kind of the point of the whole sermon that Jesus is building, right, from the very beginning. He's saying, follow me. <laughs> Learn from me. Come, come to me and take your burdens off and take my yoke. Be like me, with me. Let me give you significance in my kingdom. And we heard about this kingdom. It's upside down. It's strange. It's different from what we would do. It's not natural to us. I mean, last week we saw some, of it's not found in power control or even temporary pleasure, it's found in, in our neediness, in our hurting, in our vulnerability and why we are being persecuted. This is the unique thing and it's not typical. And, and we'll continue to see in this book, Jesus pulls out more characteristics of what this kingdom looked like, what He looks like. Um, he talks about telling the whole truth always. He talks about not worshiping sex, but actually valuing people. He speaks of never retaliating but returning hatred for love even with enemies. He talks about always giving and caring for the needy, about forgiving without thinking about it twice, not living for money or power, not getting anxious about anything, even real needs. And you see, this is the life that Jesus lived. Jesus lived this life to the fullest, to the end. He gave his life for the world, even to the point of death in the most painful way. When terrorists nailed him to the cross, he asked his father to forgive them. That's a flavor this world isn't used to. And it's a flavor you and I don't automatically bring to the table, (laughs) right? Any flavor we bring, any light we bring that's really salt, that's really light, comes from Christ. You see, through his death and resurrection, he offers his life to us. That's literally what he's saying. And through his spirit, he lives in us. That's what Christ does with his followers. And that's where the light will come from. This is the truth we proclaim. Christ is the truth that we proclaim. The hope we cling to. The light that we shine forth. He's what makes the church unique to the world. And you see, if we lose that, if we lose Christ within us, pursuing him, being full of his presence, then we lose our function as the church. And that's bad. It's really bad. You know, during during Hitler's government in Germany, Laws were passed that forbade Jewish people um, and, and Germans that weren't Jewish from gathering together, including Christians, Jewish Christians and German Christians. And the German church decided not to stand against this decision. And look, these, these were very difficult times. Um, it was incredibly risky to speak up against this government. It, you could risk your reputation, you could risk the life of this institution in many ways. Um, the church could be persecuted and many of its leaders put to death like the Jews would later and even during that time. So many church leaders um, d- d- decided not to stand up, and, and many even saw the value of what was going on. They said, look, our country has been destroyed. We need to make this country what it was, make it a great country again. So they said, maybe, maybe this is a small price to pay to have what we need to, to, to become the kind of country that we think we need to be. So the church as a whole said nothing. And and look, there was a minority that protested, it was a very important minority, but they, they, they weren't able to sway the leadership of the church. So instead of standing with the world, with the whole world, the church made a decision to protect themselves and their comfort. And in the process, they lost their purpose. They stopped becoming a church. This is what Bonhoeffer, one of the leaders of the opposition, said about the church. He said, this is no longer the church, we have to create a new church, which they called the Confessing Church. And I think he's right. The church had lost its purpose as a church that conformed to the horrible values of that moment in history. And look, in our country here in America, we, we, we've had something very similar, right? We saw an incidence of the church forgetting to be who it was. Black Americans' ability to thrive was thwarted, was, was made smaller legislation that essentially made them a lower caste, unable to relate and to be in the same situations as white Americans. And in this terrible situation, the church, the majority of the church, think about that for a second, the majority of the church did not stand up. We stopped existing as a whole. We kept quiet. And look, I'm not talking about those who were actively racist and said outrageous things. That's another sermon. I'm talking about those that were just silent, that did not speak up who didn't stand up for their neighbors, who didn't mourn with the hurting. And and these church leaders, um, Dr. King, when he was in jail in Birmingham, addressed them with a letter. It's called Letter from Birmingham Jail. I I encourage you to read the whole thing. Um, And he reminded them of who the church really was. And I'm convinced that's part of the reason why he was able to gather people and and awaken the church to its purpose, um, to do something very good in this situation eventually. And here's what he said about the church. He said, there was a time when the church was very powerful. It was during that period that the early Christians rejoiced when they were deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was the thermostat that transformed the mores of society. Wherever the early Christians entered a town, the power structure got disturbed and immediately sought to convict them for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But they went with a conviction that they were a colony of heaven and had to obey God rather than man. They were small in number but big in commitment. They were too God-intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. They brought an end to such ancient evils as infanticide and gladiatorial contest." This is the church he's thinking about. You see, through its silence, the church had stopped being salt and light. And with that, it had lost its purpose. Rather than uniquely contributing to the world and helping to build a world in which people thrive, all people thrive, it had conformed to the current values, and it had lost its position as the church. It became a thermometer, maybe today we'd say a political commentary, rather than a colony of heaven that was ready to be persecuted and ready to endure worldly shame, to give themselves away to the world for the sake of the thriving of this world. So you may say, okay, Kenny, these are big examples. We don't live in Hitler's Germany. Things are different now. Um, it's, too big to, or it's too big to relate to. It's, it's difficult, these are big issues. So l- l- let me just bring this down to something that as I've been thinking, how, how do I live into this? This is something I struggle with, and, and I have a feeling many of us do. You see, often we lose our saltiness when we put a different allegiance in front of our own allegiance. Um, and since we're in political season, we've been there for about 10 years, it seems like, Um, let's apply it there. Often we put our political allegiance before our allegiance as Christians, our allegiance to Christ. We're we're libertarians and then Christians, right? We're Democrats and then Christians. We're Republicans and then Christians. What that means is we've lost our saltiness. We've lost our light. We've confused the city on the hill that we're supposed to emulate for something else. And it's not just politics. We do it all the time with other stuff. Um, that politics is just the easy one. It goes deeper. We think our light, what makes us unique, is our, our family values, the American dream, our suburban life, comfort. It can even be multiculturalism or diversity. We put other things as our identity, as what makes us unique, instead of Christ, and we lose it in the process. We've lost the light when we do that. Now, notice th- these aren't bad things necessarily. But they're not supreme things. When we make them supreme, when we make them the first thing, we lose it. And a question to get at that is when you think of a big issue, um, you, you know, the, the, the big things, or, or small things as well, but think of the big things, you know, um, education, immigration, the refugee situation, abortion policies, police brutality, war, who to vote for. You know, when you think of these things, what's the first thing that you consider? What's the first question that comes to mind? Is it, does this fit with my values? Does this fit with my system, with my party? Whatever, or is it, how does the gospel apply to this? How does it fit with the gospel, or even even more powerfully, how does my response to the gospel, to Christ having come and given His life for me, even though I didn't deserve it, how does my response change the way that I engage with this? We need to desire God's kingdom, not any other kingdom. That's where the light and salt comes from. That's where our unique contribution comes from, and when we lose that, we've lost everything. So this is a big deal. And, you know, later, we can think of the other things. It's, 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 not, it's not bad. I, I'm, I'm not saying there's one way to go. You're, you're going to have to vote eventually, right? You're going to have to decide what, what kind of system to build. But, but I'm, I'm asking what's your first question, and that's important. So um, this won't be easy. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to need correction. But this is, is how we're salt and light in the world. The church exists for the world. That leads me to the last characteristic um, that shows up in this text. And it's this, like salt and light, the church is present in the world. The church is present in the world. In order for us to be essential and unique to the world, we must be present in the world. So let let me look at two aspects of this. The first is this, we need need to know and value the cultures of the world. That's the first thing that comes to mind. Here's why, think of salt, it attaches to things, right? It attaches to meat, um, or, or rice, or even lettuce when you have to eat it. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't create its own thing, right? You, you don't create a cake out of salt. That'd be disgusting. I did that once by accidentally putting salt instead of sugar when I was making biscuits. Um, I turned them into hockey pucks. I mean, it wasn't used. But, but you know what I mean? Salt attaches to things. You, it, it needs to find the meat to attach to. We don't create our own subculture as Christians. We learn about the culture. We, we get into the culture. We learn about other cultures, and we find what's good and what's beautiful, and then we lift it up. We say that God is the creator of this. We claim it for Christ, not, not with like a power grab, like, oh, this is ours, but saying this, this is something that God has allowed, that God has created. See it, friends. See how God is working. So we need to know about cultures. We need to engage with them. We need to learn what's good and beautiful in cultures and lift that up. But we also must go into the darkness. Remember that verse, the light has gone into the darkness. And when it does, the darkness becomes less dark. That's where light becomes more evident. A flashlight now is kinda useful, but when you go into a dark room, one candle can make a difference for the whole room. We go into the darkness. That's where we shine the brightest. This is what Jesus is saying in verse 16. Let me just read it. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, here's the thing. Christians are not called to comfort. We're called to the darkness. The church is present in the world. And I'm not saying um, purposely try to live an uncomfortable life. That's not what I'm saying, but I am saying you can't stay away from the darkness, from the decay, from the most difficult problems in the world. That's what we're called to be, church. We exist for the world and especially the world in its darkest moments. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of the leaders of the minority church. Um, in in Germany during this time. this is what he said about this. He said, flight into the invisible is a denial of the call. A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself is seized to follow him. In other words, if you hide from the darkness, you've stopped following Christ. The church must run to the darkness. That's where we shine. The church is present in the world. And, and look, you don't need to be in Nazi Germany to see the darkness. It's all around you. Racism, poverty, oppression, it's everywhere, right? In our work, in our politics, education, healthcare, it's everywhere. Your job, you engage with it daily, you know this. These are things that keep the world from thriving and that's where Christians are called to go. We exist for the world no matter how dark it gets. So let me ask us this morning: How are we running into the darkness? How are we running to the darkness? And let me be clear: I'm not calling anyone to leave their job and to start lobbying for education or anything like that. Some of you may be called to that. That's, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying where you are, what you do now matters. It matters eternally. Engage with the world now in what you do. You're going to find darkness. That's where you engage. But this also has implications for us as, as a body, as the church body. We have to run to the darkness and be Christ's light. This is the reason we do conferences like CG 2015, which happened in October, Common Good, that's what it stands for, to engage with issues engage with the world and try to figure out how do we fix this together? How do we, how do we engage together? If you haven't seen the videos for that, download them. They're, they're on, our, on our website. You can find them in, in right now Media. Um, This is another thing we did. We started the Made to Flourish organization. That's that's where this comes from. Helping pastors figure out how do we how do we speak to those issues, to the economy, to jobs, to figuring out how do people shine in the places where they are. That's what that's all about. And there's more to come too. Um, In fact, in a couple in a couple Thursdays, I was going to say, in a couple Thursdays, um, we're hosting an event called Caring for Refugees at at our downtown campus. Um, And yeah, we're we're going there. We're going to that dark place that brings a lot of division. But we're not going as conservatives and we're not going as liberals. We're going as Christians to figure out how, how, would, how would Christ engage with this? How does Christ look at these people? And what can we do together as a church? That's what we're gonna talk about. Um, February 18th at seven, it's in, your, it's in your note sheet. Come to that. Um, another thing is one of our partners, the Culture House, has put on a show called The Underground um, at the Kaufman Theater. If you haven't seen that, go see it. Buy tickets today. Um, if you have, take your friends to see it, or go see it again. Um, engage, engage with this issue. What they're doing is it's actually a show about how in a dark, dark, dark time in our history, a, a little light of the church, a minority part of the church shined brightly by joining with slaves to liberate. Um, engage with that. We, we, we built a blog that has some resources to read around it, like get involved, have something to bring to the conversation. And these are just a few small examples of what we're doing together, but it's not the end. We have to keep pushing. We have to keep figuring out where's the darkness that we have to engage with. And look, I, I, I can't tell you where you're called individually. I, I, I thought of putting together like 10 examples, but here's my hunch. I think the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And it's going to be very near where you are. It's a lot easier to engage with a problem on the other side of the world than to engage in the stuff in your surroundings. So you're probably called to the harder part. Um, The Spirit's speaking to you, listen, obey, be salt and light. That's what you are. That's what you're called to be. And here's the thing, the joy of following Him is so much deeper than just living a comfortable life. You see, as as salt and light, we're called to run into this darkness and that's where it's going to work the best. Um, Let me just read you something that Dr. King, when he was about to be killed. He was killed the next day. He gave this speech, and, and it's amazing. People study it and say, how did he know what was going on? Because he, he was confronting, he knew he was confronting death. He knew he was confronting a very difficult situation that probably his life would be taken away. And he gives this little speech at the Mason Temple in Memphis, Tennessee. And I just want to read a piece of that to you to show how this happiness is related to what we do. This is what he says. He says, I've been to the mountaintop, and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. He says, longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will, and he's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. He says, I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. Notice how he uses that word, I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about a thing. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord." You notice that language, I'm happy tonight. We're engaging in the darkness, we're there, but I'm happy because this is where God has called us to be. That's our hope, friends. That's where we're called. You know, when the dictatorship ended in Spain in 1976, we had our first democratic elections in 30 years. Um, I wasn't around. I wasn't born so i didn't know this but i had a philosophy professor who told me that at that time when people went out to vote he said it was very interesting because they would say party a you know this party over here actually benefits my class my my type of people more but i'm going to vote for this other party because it benefit it's better for the country it benefits the country and you know college students were like what <laughs> no way you know, we couldn't believe it because we had never seen a political process like that which tells you today it's not like that here or there really anywhere And my point isn't to to suggest a rubric for voting. That's not what I'm doing with this. My point is that that engaged my imagination in a new way. So I started thinking, what would it look like if there's a group of people in this world that lived for others? That every decision they made was actually for the other, to benefit the other rather than themselves. What would a world like that look like? And here's the thing, that's the church. That's what Jesus is telling us to be this morning, is a community that exists for others. Jesus is saying, come with me and shine as salt and light, not because you you know what you're doing, not because you bring anything interesting to the table, not because we've done it good in the past, but because Jesus is with us because he's done it and he's inviting us into his identity to exist for the world, to live for others, to the glory of our Father who is in heaven. Lord, we, we come to you with, this morning with a little bit of fear and trembling. This is a big thing that you're asking of us. And we realize that a lot of that fear and trembling is because we think we're gonna have to do it in our own strength. But Lord, we thank you because you sent your son to be the light and salt for us. And you've put him inside of us, Lord, so that, so that he can't shine through us. Lord, it's not our light, it's not our salt, it's yours. But Lord, we do confess our fear. We confess the the difficulty of engaging things, Lord, and not knowing how it's going to end up. But this morning, we ask you to lead us, Lord. Lead us into the darkness, that we may be the light that you've come to bring to this world. In your name we pray, amen.